They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Hey, we're back. <laughs> welcome. Welcome, welcome. So we're going to begin today with the um, gospel reading for the day. That Good. is the fifth week of Lent, Tuesday. And the gospel reading is from John. And it's interesting, if you get a chance, I'd like you to read the first reading for today's Mass, which is Numbers 21, 4 through 9. And just briefly, it's the story of how the Israelites got tired of this wretched food that God was feeding them with, the manna, and they complained. And so God sent Sarah's serpents among them. And Moses was told to make a seraph serpent and mount it on a pole, and anyone who looked on it would be cured. And it ties in today's gospel reading. So I'm going to read the gospel. I want you to listen very carefully, and then we'll talk about it and the tie-in here. The gospel is from John 8, 21 through 30. Jesus said to the Pharisees, I am going away, and you will look for me, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, He's not going to kill himself, is he? Because he said, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you belong to what is below. I belong to what is above. You belong to this world. I do not belong to this world. That is why I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what I told you from the beginning, I have much to say about you in condemnation, but the one who sent me is true, and what I heard from him I tell the world. They did not realize that he was speaking to them of the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am. Mm. And that I do nothing of my own, but I say only what the Father taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what is pleasing to him. Because he spoke this way, many came to believe in him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is telling the Jews that he's going to go away and they're going to look for him. Well, what's the deal here? Well, He's the Messiah, and he has revealed himself as the Messiah, but the Jewish leaders are not willing to accept that he's the Messiah. He's claimed to be God very clearly over and over again, not just in the Gospel of John, but also in the other Gospels, mm-hmm. through the miracles he works, through forgiving, forgiving people's sins. He's showing that he's God for raising the dead, feeding the multitude on a couple of loaves and fish. And yet they don't want to accept it. They didn't accept the gospel John preached. When John told them that the Messiah is coming, they wouldn't accept John because he was too austere. And now they don't accept Jesus because they're saying, well, he does things on the Sabbath and he keeps company with sinners. And so it's you can't win for losing, yeah, right? Yeah. One way or the other, we're not going to accept you. You're either too austere or you're too liberal. But th- it wasn't what the Pharisees wanted now, granted, you know, there are scholars who will say, well, you know, obviously the Jews couldn't have been expecting a political Messiah because they had all kinds of prophecies that told them what the Messiah was going to be like. You're right. They had all kinds of prophecies that told them what the Messiah was going to be like. And Jesus came and fulfilled all those prophecies. And did they accept him? 
<laughs> That's ironic, isn't it? It is. So if they could read the prophecies and they knew what they were, why weren't they accepting Jesus? And what Jesus tells them, he says, you belong to what is below, but I belong to what is above. And what is the reality here? We can get ourselves stuck in this world and expect an earthly paradise. We can expect to from God that he's just going to fix all the problems in this world. and We're just going to have a beautiful world and we're going to have a utopia here on earth. Comfort. But Jesus says, no, my kingdom, when he's before Pilate, remember, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm -hmm. Is it in this world? Yes, the church. He established the church. That's his kingdom here on earth. But it's not the end of the story. The end of the story is heaven is our final goal. So he goes on, and I, I told you I was going to tell you how this ties into the first reading where Moses lifts up the bronze serpent in the desert. But Jesus tells them, before I get to that, that they were going to die in their sins. Why are they going to die in their sins? Well, because Jesus came to forgive sin, but they're not willing to come to Jesus to ask for forgiveness of their sins. It's interesting. John came re preaching repentance of sin, and they weren't willing to follow John. Like, What do we have to do to believe that God really, really, really wants us to forgive sin to the point that he will die on a cross in order to get us to give up our sins? Mm -hmm. He really does desire that we give up our sins. This mm -hmm. isn't just about... You know, oh, God loves us the way we are, and it doesn't matter. No, he came. He died on the cross so that we would give up our sins. And he tells the Pharisees, you're going to die in your sins. And why? Because they're not going to repent. They refuse him. He knows the hardness of their heart. And this is the one thing that stops God from getting in, is the hardness of our heart. You know, if anybody's seen the movie Unplanned, Abby comes to the point, Abby Johnson, and this is a true story. It's not, there's no political agenda behind mm -hmm. that movie. The, mm -hmm. the, the, the point of the movie was simply to tell the true story of Abby Johnson and how she realized that she had been lied to and how she turned away from the darkness of the lie to turn to the light of Jesus Christ. And she realizes all that she's done and she says to her husband, but I, I have overseen the deaths of 22,000 babies. Mm. I can't be forgiven. And her husband is a Christian, and he says, Abby, yes, you can. All you have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me. Mm. Don't believe the lie that you can't be forgiven. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie yet. I hope to see it yeah, soon. Yeah, we're going to. Terry gets better. We're yep. going to hope to go. But, but the reality that, yes, we can be forgiven of anything if we will turn to the Lord in humility and say, Lord, forgive us. And this is what the Pharisees wouldn't do. So he told them, he said, for you. For if you do not believe that I am, and when he says I am, he's using the proper name for God that was given to Moses mm -hmm. in the burning bush. I am who I am. Right. And, and if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that he's God, you will die in your sins. And so they said, so who are you? Well, he'd already told them. He already told them in many ways who he was. And he said, what I've been telling you from the beginning. And so he says to them, when I am lifted up from this earth, then you will believe that I am. When I am lifted up from this earth, then you will finally believe. Now, it's interesting because when he's on the cross, they're going to make fun of him and say, well, if you're the son of God, come down from there. Mm -hmm. And again, give us an earthly paradise. Give us a paradise where we don't have to suffer. Mm -hmm. Give us a paradise where we don't have to give up our sins, mm -hmm. where God is going to do everything and we don't have to make any effort. Mm -hmm. No, he's not going to do that. But when he's lifted up, he will draw all men to himself, and then we will realize that he is. And what is this? In the book of Numbers, when the, when the seraph serpents came among the people, that was a punishment from God. Does God punish us for our sins? Yes, he does. Mm -hmm. 
Why? So that he will correct us because it, it destroys the dignity of the human person to sin. We're made in God's image. And when we sin, that distorts or destroys the image of God in us. And that, that is offensive to God. And so he will punish us to correct us and to restore us to the dignity. You see, yeah, God created a perfect paradise in the beginning when he made man and he made Adam and Eve in the state of grace, in a state of union with himself. And then the tempter came along and tempted Adam and Eve to lose their trust in him and to not believe in God, but to turn to themselves and say, well, can't we decide for ourselves? And over and over again, the tempter comes to us and says, well, you don't need God. Just decide for yourself what's right or wrong. If it's right for you, if it feels good for you, well, then it must be right. No, that's not what God said. And so man sinned and destroyed that perfect paradise that God had made, but God comes to restore us to grace. He comes to forgive the sin. He doesn't take away the effects of the sin. Well, Mary, I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking in our modern world today, we have some people saying that, you know, there's nobody in hell. <laughs> and I'd like you just to clarify that that's not really biblical, um, because no. what happens is it seems to me, and, you know, give me your take on this, that <clears throat> those who say that there's nobody in hell kind of gives the impression that there's no need to ask for repentance. If everybody's going to hell, why would I want to live a Christ-centered life? I mean, it's not necessary, is it? If everybody's going to heaven, what yeah. difference does it make? Yeah. I can live however I want, yeah. and in the end, God's going to just get yeah, us mer- all in no. there. Presumption. Well, number one, that denies the free will that God has given us. It does. We have freedom to choose. And why are we free? Because God wants us to love. When we sin, when we turn our backs on God, we're not being free. We're, we're, we're enslaving ourselves to sin. And so we're no longer free. Can you read what St. John Paul II said about freedom? And St. John, John Paul II, in his homily in the Oriel Park at um, Camden Yards yep. in October 1995, freedom consists not in doing what we like, been having the right to do what we ought. Very important to yeah. remember. Freedom is not doing what I like. Mm-hmm. It's the freedom well is said. doing what I ought, having the freedom to do what I ought. Mm-hmm. And that oftentimes in this world, we don't have the freedom to do what, we're, what we ought in terms of we're pressured to do what's wrong. Yeah. But we can stand against that with God's grace. Amen. St. John Paul II also said something about this whole question about whether or not there's nobody in hell. Oh, he did say that. And St. John Paul II said, well, you know, I would like to entertain the idea that perhaps no one's in hell. He said, but you see, I can't. And the reason I can't is because that's not biblical. Amen. It's not biblical to say, it's to deny the scriptures to say that we can believe there's a hell, but we don't have to believe there's anybody there. Right. You know, no, God's not going to get everybody into heaven in the end. He gives us freedom to choose. We make that choice with our actions throughout our lives. And if we choose sin and darkness, if we turn away from God and we don't repent, we will go to hell for all eternity. And Jesus very clearly said about Judas that it would have been better if the son of perdition had never been born. So what's that implying? That's implying that he didn't go to heaven. You got it. So, and, you know. And Bishop Sheen said the only value in saying yes to God is you have the freedom to say no. Right. Right. Hey, when we come back, that was a fun little section. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. I really want you to tell me what you really think next time. <laughs> I'll yeah. try. I'll You'll try. do the best. We're going to come back with the Bible with the Barbers. Get yourself a cup of coffee, some more tea, and open up your Bible. The Gospel of Mark. We'll be back. 
This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back, and thank you for joining us. And just before we get to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, by the way, I just want to finish up here, the connection between the Gospel of John for today's Mass and the first reading. Moses is told to make a seraph serpent and mount it on a bronze pole, and lift it up, and then anyone who's bitten by that by anyone who was bitten by the seraph serpent, these mm-hmm. people, the, the, the Israelites were dying from being bitten, will be cured, and so they do that. Now the bronze serpent, and Moses, of course, couldn't know this, but the bronze serpent was a prefigurement of Christ being lifted yeah. up on mm-hmm. the cross, and so <clears throat> that was what I wanted to make sure that everybody understands. Yes. And, and yeah, in the Old Testament, it does don't, it says, "Don't make for yourself graven images," and yet Jesus tells, I mean, God tells Moses to make this bronze serpent, and anyone who looks at it will be cured. But it's, it's a prefigurement of Christ crucified, and he will free us from our sin. We have been bitten by sin, and that sin means death to our soul. He gives back our life because he is crucified for us, if we're willing to accept it. So Mark chapter 14, and I'm not going to read the scripture because we don't have time to read Mark chapter 14. It's a long chapter. Mm-hmm. But we're beginning the passion of our Lord. His passion, death, and resurrection is this last section of Mark, the last three chapters. And what you have here in the beginning is the conspiracy against um, Jesus. And the Pharisees are looking for a way to kill him, but it's Passover time, and they don't want to do it 
during the feast. As a matter of fact, they would have liked to have gotten their hands on him before Passover started. But God had a plan, and everything is set out. Didn't Jesus also kind of like go through walls when they wanted to try and catch him? In other words, they, they, there were times in the Gospels where uh, they, it wasn't his time for them. To get right. His hour had not yet come, and there are several times in the Gospel where they, they were going to kill him, yeah. and, and he eludes them. And yeah. sometimes he disappears. Sometimes in Nazareth, yeah. he, they, they take him right. to the brow of a hill to cast yeah. him off. And it says in the scriptures, he turned around and walked through their midst. Yeah, there you go. He's God. You got it. He's a mob. Here he's, there's, he's facing a mob. Well, he's God. He just stopped them all. His That's angels it. came and didn't allow them to throw him over the hill. And he didn't get thrown over the hill and disappear. He turned around and walked through their midst. And I know in, sometimes in movies they portray it differently, but mm-hmm. read the scriptures if you want to know what really happened. Yeah. So then you have the um, anointing at Bethany. And Jesus is at the house of Simon the leper. And he's at table. And... This sinful woman comes in and she anoints Jesus and she has this um, pound of ointment that was worth 300 denarii. That's a year's worth of work. That's a lot of money. It was 300 days wages. That's a full year of working. And she doesn't just pour the oil on him, you know, a little bit. She breaks the jar. (laughs) This is all for Jesus. This is the best. I'm going to give him everything and I'm going to give him the best and nothing but the best is good enough for him. And I'm going to pour it all out on him. And there are people saying, you know, what is she doing all this waste, you know, all this horrible waste. Isn't it dumb? Doesn't that happen now? Why are you building these beautiful churches when there are so many poor people in the world? And and what is Jesus? You know, they're they're giving her a hard time. What are you wasting? 300 days wages. Look at all the poor people you could have fed. Well, he says, don't trouble her. Everywhere the gospel is preached in the world, this will be told in her honor. Wow. And her name, not her name, but she will be memorialized for all of time that she gave everything and she gave it for the Lord. And that's Mm -hmm. why we Catholics build beautiful churches, houses of worship that aren't just for the rich. They're for everyone who has come to Christ. And believe me, those how those churches were built more by the poor than by the rich. As remember the widow's might? Oh yeah. She put in more than all the rest because she gave everything she had to live on. And how many times is that true? And when the poor come into the church, they can be lifted up and realize that God is with us and we are here to worship. The poor you will always have with you. Mm-hmm. Take care of them. Yes, we should serve the poor. When we have more than we need of this world's goods, guess what? We're supposed to be using it to serve the poor. So think about that. If you have more than you need of this world's goods, God didn't give it to you just so you could spend it on yourself. It's okay to spend something on yourself, but don't be extravagant and look to the needs of those who have less. And, you know, it's, for instance, you know, some men, they, they start up a business and look at all the men they employ. And that's good. That's good and noble. So Judas at this point, now remember, Judas holds the purse. So it doesn't say it here in Mark, but you can presume that one of the people who's given a hard time is Judas because Judas likes the money that's put in the purse, not because he's concerned about the poor. And we do hear that in one of the other Gospels, but because he likes to help himself to what's put in the purse. He's a thief. Sheen said it that way, too. Yeah, he's a thief. So Judas um, is upset because Jesus has said, don't trouble her. And he says, "Okay, fine. He goes off to the chief priest and he's like, I'm going to sell him. What are you willing to give me? So he makes an agreement with the chief priest, that, and they're going to pay him to betray Jesus. So remember this. When you, know, when you see scandal in the church, Judas is one of the 12. He's one of Jesus' inner circle, and he makes plans to betray Jesus. 
And yet Jesus, he will be at the Last Supper. He will be ordained a priest and a bishop. He's one of the first bishops. So one out of 12 of the first bishops absolutely turned away from Jesus. And you know what? Jesus didn't stop him. He gave him the freedom. And that's 12%. I'm not saying that that's what should happen, but these things do happen. So don't take scandal when you see scandal in the church, but know that God has a bigger purpose. And he wants to save us all, but he does give us the freedom. We have to either accept him freely or reject him freely. So Judas is going to sell him. So what does he do here in in chap in verse 12 of chapter 14? Um, he On the first day of unleavened bread, he sends some of his disciples into town to prepare for him. And he doesn't tell them where to go. He says, when you get to town, a man carrying a water jar is going to meet you. Now, this is highly unusual in that society. Women carried water jars. It wasn't usually men. But a man carrying a water jar, follow him. And when you get to the house, tell the householder, the teacher needs the place for his last supper with his disciples, for his Passover, to prepare the Passover with his disciples. He doesn't call it the last supper. I'm sorry, that's me. That was my oops, (laughs) because I know it's the last supper. I'm looking at it from, you know, perspective of uh, hindsight. So he goes there to prepare the room. So only the two disciples know. The others don't know. And they go to the house, and it's it's believed that the the room is, is actually, this is the house of um, the mother Mary, the mother of John Mark, mm-hmm. Mark, who wrote this gospel. And so in the when the evening comes, then he takes the 12 to the house. So Judas doesn't know ahead of time where the where the Passover supper is going to be celebrated with, with Jesus and his, his disciples. And Jesus becomes very, very sorrowful during the supper. And he tells them, one of you, one of you that's eating with me is about to betray me. And he says, the son of man goes the way it is written of him. And here's where it is in the scriptures where it says this about the son of perdition. Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. For Jesus to say that it would have been better if you had not been born, there's no way you're going to heaven. There's no way. It's not possible. So Jesus said that Judas, and it's not because Judas beforehand is condemned, that this was predestination, absolute. No, it's because Jesus reads Judas's heart. And Judas wanted to continue stealing. And he had, you know, everything was going to go his way. He had it all planned out. He had it all figured out. And he wasn't willing to humble himself when the chips are down and come back to the Lord and say, I have sinned. So are we willing to humble ourselves? Don't wait a year to go to confession. Start making it a regular practice to go to confession every single month and go to Holy Communion. If there's sin in your life, root it out because it's separating you from God. It's holy habits. Holy habits. You know, and Monsignor, who says Mass here, here at the Sacred Heart Chapel, we were both at Mass this morning, and he was telling me before Mass that, that uh, discipline in living a Christ-centered life is essential. We have to uh, live a disciplined life. And how do you do that? By getting things done in an orderly fashion. Exactly. And what's interesting is, you know, even the pagans of ancient Greece well, they knew it. recognized, oh, they the did. good ones, they did. that in order to live a virtuous life and know who the God who created the universe is, 
you have to live a disciplined, ordered life. Socrates and then his disciples, Aristotle in particular, that you need to give up living a dissolute life, giving up, you have to give up living just to please your flesh. Right. And you have to practice virtue and discipline. Mm. And then you can come to know the true God. Mm. Socrates recognized that the Greek gods were, yeah. were false gods. They had been created by the Greeks, as he says to them at the, his trial, you created gods who are more immoral than you are so that you can justify your immorality. Mm. And now we're trying to create a God that, who's more merciful than us because then we don't have to give up our sins and he's just going to forgive us all in the end. Well, God gave us freedom and he didn't say he was going to forgive. He would have forgiven Judas if Judas had asked. Had ask. All he had to do was ask. So then at the supper, what happens? Well, that's the, the center and the core of our faith. What happens at the Last Supper? Because as they're eating, he takes the bread, he blesses it, and he breaks it. And he says, take, this is my body. And he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I shall not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, some scholars will say to you, well, you know, obviously we can't be, re- the, the, the evangelist might not have been recording the exact words of Jesus because if you read the Last Supper, all of them say it differently. Well, you can, you can find contradictions wherever you want to find them, mm-hmm. and a lot of modern scholars do find them. But what's interesting is, yeah, Mark's gospel is a truncated version, and we've already seen that. Mark, everything is immediate. Everything happens right away. He, he, he is not giving all the words of Jesus ever anywhere in his gospel. He shortens it. He makes it right to the point. And what is the core of what Jesus says? This is my body. He took the bread and said, this is my body. And then over the cup, he says, this is my blood of the covenant. Now, Matthew adds a few words Mm -hmm. to it, and Luke adds, by the way, Luke writes the gospel has been preached by Paul, which is in 1 Corinthians, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. So it's not just the covenant, it's the new covenant, showing that Jesus is establishing the new covenant in his blood. Without all three of those accounts, we wouldn't have the full account of what Jesus said. Mm -hmm. If we only have one of them, we don't have the full account. Each one was writing for a different audience. Each one's writing in a different style. That doesn't mean that's a contradiction. Put them all together, and what do you have? The essence. This is my body. This is my blood. And the essence that it's given for you and for many. So the, And the many, it, Jesus said many. He never said for all. Why? Well, because some people are going to reject him. Free will. I mean, that's, it's hard. It's hard to accept. Mm-hmm. If you fall in love with God, it's like, if that's what we need to do, fall in love with God so that we won't reject him. And I hear that music coming, Terry. What, what is that all about? got to take a break. Get some more coffee, <laughs> more tea. Get another cough drop. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I got one of those. And, and we'll look a little more now into this chapter 14 of the Gospel of Mark, where we're reading about the Last Supper and the entrance into Jesus' passion. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Well, thank you, Jesse. <laughs> and Virgin Most Powerful, please pray for us. Amen. So Jesus says, Truly I say to you, I shall not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Hold on to that thought that will come up as he's dying on the cross. So... What happens here? Then after the supper, they sing hymns and they go out to the Mount of Olives. And that was very typical. In, at, the, at the Passover meal, Psalms 113 through 118 were sung. It's called the Hallel Psalms. Mm-hmm. Psalms. You can read those. That would be great, a great thing to read and meditate on. That At the Last Supper, just before they go out, they do this. And so he goes to the garden. And it's interesting because he takes with him, as he goes out, he tells them, that all of you will fall away tonight because I will strike at the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. What is he talking about? You know, it's interesting what suffering does and how we complain to God when we suffer. Terry had this beautiful quote this morning from one of the fathers of the church where he's, oh, yeah. he's talking about, you know, if you're sick, you're going to go to a doctor and yeah. the doctor's going to give you horrible medicine to take just, and you're going to take it. And <laughs> what are you going to take it for? Because it's supposed to make your body get well. <laughs> and yet when we suffer, we say, well, God, why are you making me suffer? Yeah. I don't want to suffer. No. And, and you know what? We don't. And I understand that. And I'm not making fun of anybody. Believe me, I am the worst. But what's the reality? I remember when I was a kid and I was suffering, and my dad said, you know, you're making it worse than it is, kid. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, Daddy, I don't mean to. But, 
everything that God allows in our life, he can bring a greater good out of, and he can bring us closer to himself. And when we suffer, we can be conformed to Jesus crucified. We look like him. So when the Father in heaven looks at us when we're suffering, we look like his son, and he loves us. He loves us. And we offer the sufferings, not so that the suffering will go away, but so that it's not wasted. As Bishop Sheen said, there's too much wasted pain out there. Don't waste your pain. In union with Jesus crucified to help redeem the world. All of us are going to suffer because of sin. And like I said at the beginning, God made his perfect paradise without suffering, and we rejected it when we chose sin over God's providence. And so Peter says, oh, no, even if everybody else falls away, I will not fall away. And Jesus tells him, he says, look, Peter, before the cock even crows tonight, twice, you're going to deny me. Mm. And, and Peter's like, no, even if I have to die for you, Lord, I will not deny you. And it's interesting that, you know, the other gospel writers don't give these, all these details about Peter in this particular instance, which points to the fact that Mark is preaching the gospel as it was writing the gospel, excuse me, writing the gospel as it was preached by Peter, because you see Peter's weakness, most especially in the gospel of Mark. Yeah. His weakness is brought out. And what is Peter's point? Look to Jesus. Don't look to me. I am not the rock. Christ is the rock. He found it. He made me the head of the church, but not because of any strength of my own. He is the one that we look to. And so, yeah, we're going to suffer. And Jesus goes to the garden. And when they get to the garden, he takes with him Peter, James, and John. Now, who are Peter, James, and John? They're the same three he took with him up to Mount Tabor to see his glory in the transfiguration. And why had he shown them his glory in the transfiguration? To prepare them to keep company with him in his passion. Mm. What's interesting is, of the three, only John will be at the foot of the cross with Jesus. But who is John standing at the foot of the cross with? Our Lady. Our Lady. If we want to know how to be able to endure the sufferings we need to endure, we need to hold on to Blessed Mother's hand and say, Mary, you stood at the foot of the cross of your son, and you didn't rebel against God in all of the suffering he asked you to endure. Help us, Mary. Stay with us and help us to stay with you. And Jesus tells them, he says, my soul is sorrowful even to the point of death. Meditate on those words. What does it mean for the soul to be sorrowful to the point of death? And he's so sorrowful Mm -hmm. that his sweat will become as drops of blood. And he goes about a stone's throw from them. He has the three of them sitting there, and, and, and he prays. You know, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup. Everything's possible to, to you, Father. And yet, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus was truly human. His human nature recoils from the suffering that's coming. And also from the fact that he not only sees the suffering that's coming, he's seeing those who are going to reject him. And it's like, no, Father, don't let them reject me. And it's like, no, not my will, but thine be done, Father. I'm not going to force their will. As a human being, it's like, how can you bear suffering? We can't bear suffering for its own sake. There has to be a greater good. And even Christ, in his humanity, there had to be a greater good. He only endures the passion in view of the glory that will come. He never loses sight of the glory that will come. Nonetheless, the suffering is real to the point where he... and. I don't see it here in Mark that we're told that he sweat blood. But again, what's the deal? Is that a contradiction? Mm -mm. No. 
Mark is truncating the story, and he already knows about Matthew's gospel. He doesn't need to give all the details. He's just giving the details that were left out. And what happens? Peter, Jesus has gone away. He's been praying, and he comes back, and he says, to who? To Peter. And he doesn't call him Peter right now. He calls him Simon. Are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? We have you ever noticed that when you're really sorrowful and just you get tired and it's just I just want to go to sleep and when I wake up maybe it'll be over, and that's they're, they're they're they see the grief in our Lord and they are overwhelmed with the sorrow and they don't know what to do and it's just like they go to sleep and he addresses Simon and he says you need to watch and pray so that you don't enter in temptation because the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. And again, that warning, yeah, we're willing to do what Jesus wants. Our, our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And if we don't pray, if we don't watch and pray, and this is why we want to watch before our Lord, with our Lord in the Eucharist, because the, Jesus in the Eucharist will give us the strength that we need to endure the sufferings. And Mary, with Holy Week coming up next week, that's basically what Holy Week is about. We're going to watch the week that changed the world. Exactly. And we need to watch with our Lord. We need to spend time with our Lord. Make time. Make time to spend with our Lord. I know some people are realizing in their lives today that, you know, I'm so busy with everything that needs to be done that I'm I'm ignoring my personal relationships. Mm -hmm. Are we ignoring the personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ? What is the first personal relationship we need to pay attention to? Young people, spend time with our Lord. Mm -hmm. He loves you. He pours out his love for you. Spend time with him. Make the time in your life. If you're recognizing that you've been putting off your personal relationships with your family and your friends in order to achieve your career goals or your educational goals, well, wake up. Mm-hmm. And are you, are you ignoring the personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you're supposed to be having? Wake up and make that time. Spend time with our Lord, especially during Holy Week, but every week. Make time to be with him. And Jesus tells them, he says, watch and pray. So that's what we do. We watch and pray. Why? Because, yes, our spirit is willing. We think, oh, we're going to be strong, just like Peter, you know, the bravado of Peter. What? I'm willing to die for you, Lord. Well, let's (laughs) see what happens here. So again, Jesus goes away. And and a third time he comes back to them and still they're sleeping. And finally, he says, it's enough. My betrayer is at hand. And so Judas has entered the garden with the crowd, with a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes. And Judas had arranged a signal that the one I kiss so that they don't get the wrong guy. You know, I don't want to take the wrong. They got to take the right one. So I'm going to kiss him. So he walks up to the Lord and he kisses him and he says, Master. And that's the one they're going to lay hands on because that's the one that they seize. All right. Now, do we think that Peter was not true to his word, that he was willing to fight to the death for Jesus? What happens? One of those who stood by drew a sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me when day after day I spoke to you in the temple seizing and you did not seize me? But this is to let the scripture be filled. And they all forsook him and fled. Well, who is the one? We know from the other gospels it was Peter. Peter was true to his word. He was willing to fight to the death for our Lord. Was he willing to go to the cross for our Lord yet? Not yet. He was willing to fight. He drew his sword in the presence of a crowd, of a mob, and he was going to fight him off. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way. 
And it's interesting here. We have some scholars believe this is Mark's signature because it said, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but left he left the linen cloth and walked, ran away naked, which would make sense. If the supper had taken place in the house mm-hmm. of Mary, the mother of Mark, right. John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, who was the one who wrote the gospel as Peter preached it, he followed him into the garden. And when they see they're taken away, I mean, remember, their other disciples were outside the garden. And so he was waiting with them. And he's just, and they grabbed the linen cloth to grab him. And he's like, ah, no, I'm out of here. (laughs) So he runs away. So what happens? So now Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin. And this is, it's a mock trial. It's Mm -hmm. just a mock trial. Peter followed at a distance and he follows right to the courtyard of the, the high priest. And everybody's there warming themselves at a fire, and, and the high priests and the council have sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death. That's the whole point of this, isn't it? We need testimony to put him to death, but they find none. Hmm, I wonder why. Why can't they find any? For many bore false witness against him, but their witness did not agree. Funny thing about false witness, you know? The testimony doesn't agree. And, and it also doesn't measure up to the truth that was spoken. It, like he said, I spoke in public. I taught in public, you know, but this is your hour when darkness reigns, which I realize isn't written in the Gospel of Mark, but it's written in another gospel. It's a fourfold gospel. In other words, the fathers of the church always read the gospel as one continuous whole. Right. You read all four accounts so that you can put it all together and have the full picture. Mm-hmm. If you only have one, you don't have the full picture. So fill in the blanks. And so... Their their doesn't destroy, and then it, their their testimony doesn't agree. Excuse me, and then somebody comes forward and said, "Well, he said, you know, I will destroy this temple that was made with hands, and in three days I will build up another made with not not made with hands." Well, is that what he said? No, that's not what he said. When they were talking about the temple, he said, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again." That's in the Gospel of John. Only the apostles realize after the resurrection. He's talking about the temple of his body. He doesn't say, "Destroy this." I will destroy this temple made by hands and raise it up with one not made by hands. They, they added to his words to try and get something against him. And there's that music again. So if you want to make a donation, call 877-526-2151. Thank you for listening to us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And we'll be back in just a few moments. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. 
2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment... Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. We're back here with Bible with the Barbers, and Terry had to step out, so I'm going to finish this hour off with you, and I thank you for listening, and thank you, Matthew, for introducing us. And if you want to make a donation, call 877-526-2151. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. The numbers are the same, just the prefixes are different. Um, so here we are. Jesus is before the Sanhedrin, and he's been taken from the garden. They have him. They're bringing him. They're trying to find false witnesses, and they can't get the false witnesses to agree. So finally, um, their testimony doesn't agree. And so the high priest stands up and he asks Jesus, have you no answer to make? What are these things that they testify against you? But Jesus doesn't say anything. And so finally the high priest says, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Now he asks him point blank a direct question. And Jesus says, I am. Again, I am. He's using the proper name of God to describe himself. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. By the way, that's an allusion to Daniel 7, 13. You can go and read the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, who comes to the Ancient One and is presented before him, and he's given kingship and dominion. So he's claiming to be the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel, which means he's claiming to be the Messiah. And he also calls himself, I am. And so the high priest tears his robe, and he said, we don't need any further witnesses. You've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? So they all condemned him as deserving of death. And they began to spit on him and to cover him, his face and to strike him. And they say, prophesy. And then the guards receive him with many blows. So we have it that already he's being abused and beaten up. 
This is before he gets to Pilate. This is before the Romans get to him. His face is being hit. And that's how, you know, we, the broken nose in the Shroud of Turin, the man in the Shroud of Turin has a broken nose. Remember, your nose is not a bone. It's cartilage. None of his bones shall be broken was one of the prophecy. That's why at the end, Jesus' bones aren't broken when the Romans want to make sure he's dead. So then we have, um, so that's the trial, not how the, how the trial went. It didn't go well, it looks like. I mean, this looks like defeat and disaster. Like, what hope is there? He's going to die. I mean, what's going on? And then we have Peter's denial. Peter had followed him to the courtyard. He's in the courtyard there. He's waiting to see what's going to happen. And he's warming himself by the fire. And somebody says, well, you are with Jesus of Nazareth, but he denies it. I neither know or understand what you mean. And then he goes out into the gateway and he's talking. And one of the maids says, this man was one of them. But again, he denies it. And after a little while, Peter said, and someone else comes and somebody says, certainly you're one of them. You're Galilean. Your, your voice gives you away. And then he swears that it's not him. Bishop Sheen explains here the three stages, or four stages, three stages in the fall of man. First in the garden, Peter walks away from the cross. He had first, he didn't pray, okay? He fell asleep when he was supposed to pray. Then, when Jesus is being delivered over to be crucified, Peter's going to fight. He's not willing yet, he's not able yet to embrace the fullness of the cross. So he's walking away from it because he's going to fight. And Jesus says, no. Put it away, not in the Gospel of Mark, but in one of the other Gospels. Jesus tells him to put his sword away. So then he gets to the courtyard, and what is he doing? He's looking for creature comforts. He's warming himself by the fire. So first we don't pray. Then we walk away from the cross. Then we look for creature comforts. And then what's the final thing? We look for human consolation. We're carrying on conversations. We're looking for friends to fill up the emptiness. When we don't pray, we're empty. When we walk away from the cross... We start feeling sorry for ourselves, and then we want creature comforts, and then we're emptier, and so then we look to other people to fill us. No, let's pray. Let's embrace the folly of the cross and our own inability to control our responses and say, yes, Lord, I will carry this cross. No matter what it is, I will carry it. And if I can't carry it well and I keep falling down, then I will simply keep turning to you and saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I will continue to pray and trust that you will save me from everything that's coming. And instead of turning to creature comforts, Lord, I will turn to you. And when I'm feeling the need to be filled by the things of this world, I will acknowledge how empty I feel, and I will beg you to fill me. And when I'm looking to other people to console me, Lord, I'll turn to your word, and I'll keep company with you in the blessed sacrament. I'll make spiritual communion throughout the day. I'll practice the presence of God and remember that you are always with me. Even though I can't see you, the veil still hides you from my eyes. I trust that you are with me and I will ask you to fill me with your presence so that I know you are with me and I will have the courage and the strength to stand against every temptation. If we don't do this, we will fall like Peter did. Now it's interesting because the Lord had told Peter he would do this, didn't he? He said, before the cock crows twice. And the cock had crowed once after he had denied Jesus. And now after the third denial, the cock crows a second time. So what did Peter do? Did Peter get angry and go out and hang himself? What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Well, it says that Peter remember how Jesus had said, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. 
And again, we have here in the Gospel of Mark a heavy emphasis on Peter's denial. Peter is showing. When he preached the Gospel, he makes it evident. Jesus didn't choose me because I'm strong. Jesus didn't choose me because I'm the smartest. Jesus didn't choose me because I'm the best or the most perfect or the most faithful. Jesus chose me because he chose me. And I just want to be faithful to him. It's not about me. It's about Christ. It's about following Christ. Peter never puts himself forward as if he is the one that we need to look to. And this is, Peter was the first pope. He's the first papa. He was the head of the apostles. And he did have jurisdiction of authority. If you read the fathers of the church, he had jurisdiction of authority over the church. Now, granted, individual bishops have jurisdiction in their diocese. And they're supposed to preach the gospel. And they're supposed to make sure that the gospel is handed on faithfully and firmly and without error. But we know he had jurisdiction of authority because in the early church, if there was a question that came up between two bishops of neighboring diocese, and they couldn't settle the question between themselves, they would always refer to Rome, to Peter. Because Peter did go to Rome, and the see of Peter was in Rome. He became the bishop of Rome. The first bishop of Rome was Peter. And we know that from history. That's just history. And Peter was buried in Rome. (laughs) They found his bones. Yes, Peter was buried in Rome. And so Peter shows us when he preached the gospel, when God chooses, he's not choosing us because we're so smart, because we are so rich, because we are so influential, because we have so much power. We're not looking for a power struggle in the church. The priesthood isn't about power. The priesthood is about service. The priesthood is about being Jesus Christ crucified for the flock. The priest should find his home and his comfort in the cross of Christ. And this is why we need to pray so mightily for our priests. Peter fell, but Jesus had warned him that he would fall. But he had also told him in one of the other Gospels, Peter, I've prayed for you all of you together. But then he says singularly to Peter, so that when you, Peter, have recovered, you in your turn will strengthen your brother. He doesn't say you, Peter, but the you there is singular. He prayed for all of them, but he prayed for Peter so that when Peter had recovered from his fall, he would be the strength for his brethren. And so, yeah, God uses sinful men to carry out his work. That's what the church is all about. The church is about the fact that Jesus Christ uses sinners to build his kingdom here on earth. We're those sinners. He didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. And Peter's a sinner, and he makes that evident. And this is the gospel as he preached it. Mark wrote the gospel as Peter had preached it. That's what the fathers of the church tell us. That's the witness of the church. So the scholars can argue about that, whatever. they can. But what we have from the church our, our Holy Mother, who teaches with authority, with the authority from Christ, is that this is how Peter had preached his gospel. And this is what's passed on to us through the gospel of Mark. So Peter makes it evident that I'm not the perfect one. I'm not the one you look to for salvation. I am Christ's instrument, and I am supposed to share in his sufferings, and I'm supposed to serve the church. And what happens? Peter goes out and he weeps bitterly. Tradition has it that There were furrows in his cheeks. 
that he wept so bitterly that his face was permanently furrowed from the tears that he shed that night. He was truly repentant. There's a difference between repent and remorse. In remorse, we turn in on ourselves and, oh, I'm so wicked. I'm so no good. I could never be forgiven. What I've, what I've done, God could never forgive. Peter is sorry. He's repentant. Lord, I promised you that I would be faithful and I wasn't. Now what do I do? And of course, he didn't know what to do then other than to, to weep. To weep and to be sorry. And he gets to live with that all of Friday, all of Saturday. It's not till Sunday morning that he'll know for sure what to do with it. But at the moment, he weeps. And this is the message for all of us. Weep over our sins and confess them. Confess your sins one to another. Jesus, the first thing he does when he appears to them, whoops, I'm getting ahead of myself, but on Easter, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit whose sins you shall forgive. They are forgiven them. But that's in the Gospel of John, so I can get ahead of myself because it won't be told in this Gospel because John tells what the others didn't tell. His Gospel isn't unhistoric. He's just telling the things that were left out by the other Gospel writers. He's finishing out the picture. You want the full picture? You need the fourfold gospel, as the fathers of the church called it. So Peter weeps bitterly. So should we. And let's ask God for this grace to weep over our sins, but not with a remorse that says, I can't be forgiven, but with a sorrow that looks to the Lord on the cross and say, Jesus, you shed your blood to save sinners. You came to save sinners. Remember the price that you have paid for all of us. And do not let that price be lost on us, Lord. You shed your blood for us. May the price that you have paid for us not be lost on us, but may have its effect in our life right now. Go to confession. Go to confession now. Make an appointment at a parish. Go to one of the penance services that's going to be held. Go to the scheduled confessions. But don't put it off. Live in the state of grace avoid mortal sin. Pray for the grace to be free of it. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for your prayers, your financial support. Those of you who offer your sufferings for us, thank you. We couldn't do this without all of your help. If you want to make a donation, call 877-526-2151. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Virgin Most Powerful, please pray for us. We hope you can join us again next week for Bible with the Barbers. I have Bible study tonight at 7 p.m. at the chapel for anybody who wants to join, and Thursday afternoon at 1. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests Oh my Jesus, I beg Thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of Thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great high priest, may the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us.
Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.